Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Everybody good? Let's say hi to those that are watching online real quick. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us. Now, uh, if you have your Bibles, your smartphone, if you can turn to the third book of John, that's where we're going to be. This is the final week in an eight-week series where we've been looking through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, it's been a great series. Very grateful for uh, some of my dear friends that have stepped in to help out and to be part of our weekends in uh, Beth and I's absence. We were uh, traveling to our son's graduation from his YWAM program. He's now teaching in a Bible school in Papua New Guinea. I don't even know where that is. <laughs> and uh, very just awesome to see what God's doing through his life. And so thank you for doing that. Also, while I was gone, apparently there was approval given, not by me, to go public with what folks have been calling a milestone birthday of mine. <laughs> so last Monday, the old Duggar turned 50. Turned 50, yeah. <clears throat> so um, I got to tell you, though, that it was a lot harder to turn 40 than it was 50 because when you turn 40, I've told some of you this this morning, you still think you can do something. That's, that's the illusion, that I'm still capable. I could still, and then... Now I just know it's not true. I can't. I can't do that anymore. And so it's kind of funny. The week that I turn uh, 50, obviously thinking and evaluating and dreaming and trying to look ahead and looking back, all those kinds of things. And then, wouldn't it be that the week that I turn 50, when on social media, it goes viral with this app that you can upload a picture to, and it'll give you 20 more years or so of your life. So now I know what to expect in the next couple of decades. That's horrible. The anxiety that that creates while you're waiting for the picture to come back, it's overwhelming. Do you want to see it? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to show you yet. No. No, because I thought if I'm going to show you my picture, I got to show you a couple others first. All right? So here you go. You know our beloved lead student pastor, Tommy, with his glorious beard. Un unmistakably handsome Handsome man, check this out. Yeah, you know he turned into Gandalf on me there. I don't know what happened. That was just crazy. That was crazy. And of course, we love our creative pastor, Jonathan Witt, and his glorious Chicago Cubs hat, looking really thrilled about it. And look what happens. Couple decades. A couple, he looks like his dad with a beard. Yeah. <clears throat> now, Josh is here today, so I got his permission to do this. My oldest son, Josh, many of you have prayed for him. Handsome guy. Look at him, long hair. The flocks are back. Yeah, give him a couple decades, though. That ain't no good. That ain't no good, buddy. That ain't no good. <laughs> oh, that's just absolutely crazy. And then here's one of a guy I hope to spend retirement with. I can just imagine sitting on a beach after I've beaten him in golf, but he looks like this. That's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> okay. Enough. I'll show you mine now. Uh, you guys know this is what I look like. And again, I need to remind you of the anxiety that I had as I submitted my picture to this app. And all of a sudden, when it came back, I was so hesitant, and it looked like this. <laughs> Perfect. Isn't that awesome? I love the Russian app. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Too funny. No, I'm just kidding. That is not what came back. That is what came back. <clears throat> And I look just like my dad, right? Like, golly, what an amazing thing to happen the week that I turn 50. So what do the next 20 years look like? Goals. What, is that, what does that mean? I've thought about that a little bit this week. What do I hope to achieve? 
Um, let me just share a couple of them with you. I, I'm, I'm excited to celebrate uh, in a few years, a couple of decades maybe, 50 years of marriage with my wife Beth. I want to see my children continue to live for Jesus. I've also decided that I have a new goal to be the coolest grandpa ever. I'm in no hurry. I, I want to see my grandkids love Jesus. And in a couple of decades, you know what I really want? I want to be pastor emeritus of Plum Creek Church. Still here in this community, part of this amazing church, seeing life change continue to happen. And I want a trail of amazing leaders behind me that we've had a chance to invest in that continue to make a difference for the cause of Christ. This week, as I've been looking at this passage of scripture in 3 John, there's something else that I want to introduce to you that, that has also kind of worked its way into my, my goals uh, for these next years in my life. <clears throat> and um, perhaps you've already been reading through this portion of scripture because over the summer we've been posting ahead of time on our app the verses, the passages that we've been uh, teaching, so you've been reading, hopefully you've been reading and keeping up with us. Uh, the third uh, book of John is an interesting one. Uh, it's a little bit different than the uh, others. It's 15 verses, <clears throat> and this one's a letter written not to, as an open letter to the churches that John was uh, leading, but it was, it was a personal letter to one individual. There are four people mentioned in this book, uh, and it's still framed in the context of, of the same things that the other uh, letters were talking about to these churches that John loved and cared for. And um, so these four people are going to be what we talk about today. And here's, here's <clears throat> what I was referencing earlier, the deal that has worked its way into my next 20 years. In the first verse of the third book of John, it says this, this letter is from John the elder, and I'm writing to Gaius, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are, look at this, as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Now, I want to unpack that for you just for a second. Um, these aren't going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen. Uh, the same verse in the King James Version says it this way, that you may prosper in health just as you prosper in soul. Think about that for a second. In the Revised Standard Version, it says this, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in health. I know it is well with your soul. Wow, that is incredible. You see, when John is writing to this young man, he's saying this, I know what's going on here, and my prayer is that your physical health and well-being, the rest of what's happening in your life is a reflection as, of how well you're doing with your heart and in your soul. You're good in here. My prayer is that you would be good out here as well. What an amazing prayer. What an amazing way to be defined and to be measured by our spiritual health instead of our physicality that they would use the knowledge of where you and I stand spiritually to be the baseline of a prayer for the rest of our well-being. What an amazing, th that's my goal. That's my prayer. And so this week I've been wondering, does that work? Does that work for me? Does it work for you? 
How would we know? How would we know if it works? How about this? How about if instead of the app that makes you look two decades older, you uploaded your picture and what came back was a reflection of your soul? That's what I've been thinking about this week. Do you think it'd be viral on social media? I think people would be scared to post their picture. That's part of the reason we're here today, isn't it? Because we want to keep working on what's happening inside of us, and that's what John is, is talking about. How do, we, how do we learn? How do you and I learn to live intentionally so that this could be said of us? And that's what I want to show you from this passage this weekend. And the first person that he, uh, that he talks about, Diotrephes, is a guy who's the antithesis of this. The one I want to show you first is in, in verse 9. And I want you to see what John wrote. He said this, I wrote to the church about this. So I just want to pause for a second and tell you, this is how we can see that the letters that we've been studying have been, are, are linked together. He's saying basically, look, I've already been talking to you about this. You know the problems that exist in the church. I've already sent this open letter to the churches to read. Now in this individual letter, he's getting specific. He's going to share some details about this man that has been causing some problems. I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephes, who loves to be the leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. Verse 10, when I come, I will report some of the things that he is doing and the evil accusations that he is making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do help, he puts them out of the church. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of what this, this dude has been doing, but just suffice it to say this, he's a piece of work. He is an isolated, insecure leader who's selfish. And I would even say it goes beyond this. He's certifiable narcissistic. He needs therapy. He's domineering. He's power hungry. He's a liar, and he starts the gossip. He's rejected... Have you ever been around someone like that for a second? That's not a whole lot of fun, is it? And he continues now and he says that he also rejected John's authority. He rejected these other missionaries. He wanted autonomous control or solo leadership. And additionally, he wanted to make up his own doctrine rather than teach what Jesus had been taught. This week I was thinking about this. Can you imagine that being written about you and then 2,000 years later, we're still unpacking the sordid history of your reputation that is specifically destroying local churches. That would be horrible. He's a huge problem of the a part of the problem that John's been addressing that we've been talking about all summer, the, the real issue, the heart behind this guy, the serious problem that he had is that he always wanted to put himself first. Loved to be first, even putting himself in front of Jesus. And the most important thing that I guess I could say about him is this, don't be like that guy. And that's what John said too in verse 11. Dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. Enough said right there. Don't be like that guy. 
And then we're going to change gears. We're going to look at verse 12 because now he introduces this other guy. His name is Demetrius. And I want you to see the contrast in what John has to say about him. Look at verse 12. He says this, Everyone speaks highly of Demetrius, as does the truth itself. We ourselves can say the same for him, and you know we speak the truth. Many theologians assume that Demetrius is the one that hand-delivered John's letter And there's just something different about him. You see, people notice and leadership notice that there's something different. And this whole series has been repeating the importance of building our lives on the foundation and and the importance of the simple, straight-up truth, living the truth. You've heard people say this before, stick to the red letters. Do you know what that means? There are some Bibles that are printed with all of Jesus' things that he said in red. Stick to the red. Just listen to what he said. What did he say? What did Jesus do? And focus on that. Live like that and you'll be okay. That's a challenge for me and a challenge for you that that would be the foundation of our life. And that's part of what John has been saying throughout this whole series this summer. And when you go back and reflect on the first book and the second book and the third book of John, you know this is part of what he's saying. Like, build your life on the rock-solid bedrock of the truth of Jesus. And he's saying Demetrius was an example of that. He's a man you can trust. He's a man of truth, and this is how he's been known by those that have, have been blessed to be around him, and that's just awesome. And now I want to move back to the first part of this letter that John wrote, and I want to introduce you to another guy, the, th- the third person that he talks about, and he gives us this incredible example of what it looks like to live the truth. Look at verse 1 again. This letter is from John the Elder, and I'm writing to Gaius. That's the gentleman we're going to be talking about. He says, this is my dear friend whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. And now you've got to see this. In order for the state of our heart spiritually to be described this way, to be our top priority, to set the tone for your life and my life, this needs to be our goal. Look what John says in verse 4. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. Did you catch that? That's the key. Here's the key again, this re-emerging principle that continues to be seen all throughout John's letters. This is our main thought for the weekend. God is pleased when I follow the truth. And what we need to see here is that John is explaining that this gentleman is a living example to all of us of what that looks like. For what it looks like to walk the talk, to live the truth day in and day out. On Saturdays, when I'm heading to church to prepare to speak on the Saturday service, I've developed this habit, and I do this almost every single week now. I call my mom. And so um, what you need to know is that most of what I'm telling you, she's already helped me with (laughs) because she loves to study the Bible. And so all week long, we're interacting back and forth and talking about the passages we're dealing with, and she's doing research and pumping me good information. And so uh, she's like, okay, Dougie, you know, tell me, what, where are we going this weekend? <clears throat> and so I'll share with her some of the details. And, and so this week, when I finally took a breath, and because I'm all excited about what I'm sharing, she said, it reminds me of something. I was like, oh, what's that, Mom? She said, it reminds me of something that I shared with your sister Emily, who's our children's pastor here, and your daughter Megan. 
I was like, oh, okay, what's that? She said, I've talked to them about how first thing in the morning, you do everything you can to make yourself look presentable and to be beautiful on the outside. She said, then I always told Emily, and I've told Megan this too, then you spend the rest of the day focused on making, making it beautiful on the inside. Whew. What a great challenge. What a great challenge for all of us. What does it look like to walk the walk, to live the truth day in and day out? Look at verse three. Some of the traveling teachers recently returned and have made me very happy by telling me, and he's describing this gentleman's life, about your faithfulness, that you are living according to the truth, faithful and steady, rooted in the truth of Jesus. And what we're talking about here is the foundation for this guy's life that needs to be your and my foundation too. The motives, the principles contained in the truth of the gospel message. This is the main thing that makes our souls thrive. And what is that? Listen, it's, it's having Christ and his word deeply planted and inseparably enshrined completely in who you are as a person. Because when that happens, we're different. We're changed from the inside out. You can begin to evaluate our lives differently where people will pray this prayer that you would be doing as good on the outside as you are on the inside. Whew, what a prayer. So I want you to see this important detail that he says in this verse three. He says to, to this gentleman, you are living according to the truth. And I like that because you see it, it distinguishes for us the importance of not just knowing the truth. See, he didn't say, boy, good job hanging out with the rabbi. Good job going to church. He doesn't say that. He says, it doesn't say good job reading the books and getting in the small groups because those things are important, but that's not what he's highlighting here. He's not saying good thing to get that degree to be able to know those things here. Instead, he says, I see that you're living it. It's not just stuff that floats around in the sphere of your brain. It's in your heart, and it changes the way you live. And you see, this is what knowing the truth does to us. And it's important, too, for us to see that a soul that lives in the truth is not a soul that sits idle. It's always in movement. It's always progressing. It's always developing. And the result of the message of the gospel continues to permeate into every little nook and cranny of our life, into every relationship. And then it is so much so that it's seen by others on the outside what's already taken place on the inside. This action is the process of what we know moving from our minds to our hearts, from great thoughts to a way of life because in him we live and move and have our being. Look at verse five. Dear friend, he says, you are being faithful. There's that word again, faithful. You're being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through even though they are strangers to you. Remember what was said earlier of the other guy that he was telling people to not do this. Don't allow those, don't show hospitality towards them. So much so that even if they were, he was kicking those people that were doing that, that were being hospitable out of the church. He says they have, 
They have told the church here of your loving friendship. Please continue providing for such teacher in a manner that pleases God. For they are traveling for the Lord and they are accepting nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. And I want you to see what John is saying here. He's saying this, that once the message of the truth of the gospel of Jesus has touched your life, once your life has intersected with that, you're changed. You're so changed that part of this becomes the way that you do life differently. Your priorities look different. We become active participants in the truth. We become part of the Lord's army to forcefully advance the message of the gospel. That becomes a priority by which we live our lives. And what does that look like? You see, we become partners, participating in the advancement of the gospel. When our lives have been touched by God, we think different. We prioritize different. We create margin and space with our time and our talents and our resource. And we help there to be this advancement of the gospel because of our priorities looking different. We look for ways to see what God is doing and asking how we can be part of it. And this plays out in amazing different ways. We live alert for the ways that we can support God's work. And you're going to hear me saying this more. You're going to hear us talking this language more here at church. I could summarize it this way. You're called to contribute. Back in the day when we were in the theater, I would say this a lot. Look, church is not a spectator sport. We all have responsibility. We all have a part to play. We all have um, ways that we can invest our lives into what God is doing. You see, you and I are contributors, not consumers. That's a hard thing for us to get our minds wrapped around in a consumer mentality that's so much a part of our culture. Listen, when you've been changed by the gospel, truly changed, you become compelled to take action. Does that sound a little bit like what we say every week? Changed lives? You see, something happens when my life has been changed. Something happens when the gospel has really impacted me. I begin to change on the inside so much that it becomes a priority in the way that I live my life in every other arena. It's always been God's plan. Listen, this doesn't make sense. And we've talked about this before. I've always envisioned this picture of Jesus coming back after he rose from the dead and he shows back walking through the pearly gates to a standing ovation. Everybody's like, we did it. It was awesome. Way to go. That's all you mean. Redemption for humanity. That is incredible. Now, how will we spread the word to everyone else? And Jesus smiles and says, I left it to the 12. Like what? That's a really bad idea. He's like, no, it's a great idea because I know what happens when lives really are changed by the good news in the gospel. You see, they come alive and there's no way in that world that they would ever take what they've been given and hold it just for themselves. They will run like crazy to share it with whoever they can. And you see, that is something that you and I need to see that's embedded in God's plan that the truth, the gospel, the good news, in all of its majesty and dignity and divinity, this power for life change would be part of what you and I are responsible to see forcefully advancing. 
We're his kids and we need to understand and realize what John is saying is that this is now in our hands. I have a responsibility here. You have a responsibility here. I am called, you are called to help the message of the gospel impact this world. And here, guys, here's the big deal. You know and you realize that God created you with a plan and a purpose. And you are uniquely designed by God with talents and abilities and passions and cares that, that are unique to you. And there will be a day when you and I stand before the Lord, held accountable for the gifts that we have been given and how we have stewarded them for the message of the gospel. And I, what I want more than anything else is that on that day when you stand before the Lord, for you to be able to stand with confidence, knowing that you took what was given to you and you put it to work for the sake of Jesus and his name and his message. That's what matters. That's not just my job. That's your job. We do this together. The gospel spreads to others through us and it must be passed hand to hand like a linked chain. And the reality is that we will only be as strong as our weakest link. Here's what I do know, that, that this church, Plum Creek Church, will only ever reach its full redemptive potential when you and I both take this seriously. That's the moment when all of a sudden things begin to change. And the effectiveness of what we know God has called us to do goes from where it is now to where he intends for it to be. When you and I begin to take seriously the responsibility to move the gospel message forward, and I know that there are many ways for this to happen, and I can tell you today that I stand before you honored to be the pastor of this church that sees this at work. And you might take it for granted, but I want you to know there are contributors all over the place. And not just here on the weekends, that's a big part of it, but there are people from Plum Creek that are deployed every single day living for Jesus. Not afraid to let others know that he is their Lord and their Savior, and not afraid to tell their story of life change, looking for opportunities to be part of the advancement of the gospel. But I want you to know that I, I am regularly brought to tears as I see such amazing examples of people who are passionate contributors. And I wanted to do my best today to be able to show you some examples of that. There's no way that we could capture them all. So I asked Shane to carefully begin to capture a video. And I want to show you real quick. It's just a couple, just a couple shots of things over the course of a couple of weeks that help us to see that this church is full of contributors. Watch the screen. touching the lives of people as they come into our church. And I want, to be, I want to be part of the undisputed friendliest church, not only in this community, 
but across the state and across the globe. I really feel that it's not really a obligation. It's more that I want to give back. And I love serving people. I love seeing the look on people's face when you just walk up and give them a smile. serving because I've had so many people pour into me that have helped my spiritual journey and I want to do that for others. I honestly get more out of it than I put into it. It activates my faith and makes me put into action what I believe. I feel like with everything that God has done for us, how can we not give time on Sundays to Him to serve and reach other people? I just believe that Jesus called us to serve because that's what He came here to do. I love it. <laughs> love every moment of it. Listen, guys, when I see that video and I pay attention while, yeah, heck yeah. <clears throat> when I walk in and out of the hallways of our church and I look down the, the, uh, the spots where our kids are and you go next door and you see the hundreds of people that are giving of their time and their effort and their energy, using their talents and their gifts to make a difference for the I can tell you this with great certainty using Jim's word from early in the video. These are the undisputed heroes of this church. And I want to say thank you. Because together, together, we can reach the full redemptive potential that God has in store for us as a church. And here's what I think happens. I think sometimes, maybe you're here today and you haven't found a spot yet. Or maybe you have some confusion about this. Or maybe you're just trying to figure out if this is the place where you would get plugged in. And I know what happens. Sometimes people think, you know, I'm just so busy, Doug. I'm so busy. I don't have the margin or the resource to give. Or maybe you think this, when you come, you think, wow, every time I come, it looks like they got it handled. I don't think they need me. Or maybe you think I don't have any skills that they could use here at church. Or maybe you feel like you're unqualified. Or maybe, maybe this is the one you think, you know what, I'm just not good enough. Look here. Lies! All of them are lies. You think that you don't have enough margin? Let's prioritize right so we can create some margin. What matters most? You think that we've got it handled? We need you. 
We want your hands and feet and hugs and high fives and computer skills and camera skills. And we need you to love on kids and students. And we want you to be part of missions teams that even like today are on the other side of the world on a little tiny island in the Philippines giving of their time and of their resource and even their vacation to make a difference in the lives of hundreds of children that we support. Or the team that's getting ready to leave here in just a few hours to go to Honduras to do the same at our other child development center. You see, we think we don't have the the margin. We can create margin. You think we've got it handled and we don't need you. That's wrong. You think that you're not qualified. We will help you find a spot. And listen, if you think you're not good enough, join the club. None of us are good enough to deserve to be part of what God is doing. But that's his plan. And what I can tell you, because I've experienced it in my life When you say yes to this, that's when real change starts to happen. When you decide to be part of what God is doing, find your place, your niche, your spot where you can invest your life into the lives of others. Let me tell you, you come alive. And here's what I hope you're feeling. I'm in. Where could I find a spot to help? And listen, I know it's not just the four walls of this church but we need to find a place to serve. We need to realize that there will be a day when we stand before the Lord and will be held accountable for the way that we stewarded the gifts, the time, the talents, and the resource that we have. And so today, as in every week, there's a card that looks like this one. If you're not not part of this amazing team of contributors yet, pull this card out. It's okay. I want you to explore it. I want you to take this card home and begin to pray about it. If you're ready, you fill it out right now and say, help us, help me find a spot to get involved and to be part of what God is doing. And I want you to hear the words from from 3 John verse 4, and I want them to not just be John's words. I want you to hear them today because they're my words too. Nothing could make me happier than getting reports that my children continue diligently in the way of truth. And perhaps you're watching online today. And maybe you're watching from some completely different place and you know you needed to hear this message too. Please find a place to plug in and get involved. Be part of what God is doing around this world because God is pleased when I follow the truth and part of following the truth is saying yes to the advancement of that truth and this amazing gospel. Can you bow your heads for just a minute? I wonder today if we really did have an opportunity to have that app that I described earlier. That we would take a picture and upload and it would give us a picture of what our soul looks like. I wonder what your picture would look like. And maybe you're here today and you've been exploring things of faith, but you've never made a personal decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know that that picture can look very, very different for you. 
And if as we're sitting here, perhaps you're watching online, you would say, you know, I know this is for me in this moment because I, li- I don't like what's going on inside. And I need that to change. And I want that to change my life and I want that to cha- change my, the experiences and the relationships that I have around me. And if that's you and you realize today your desperate need for God, man, I'm excited today to be able to help you to know how to take this first next step. If that's you, would you just simply pray with me, Lord, I'm not okay with what's happened inside of me. And I need it to change. I want my life to look differently, to be a reflection of a soul that is in a different place than it is right now. And I know the only way that can happen is by by accepting what you did on the cross for me. And today I ask you to forgive me and I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Help me to understand what it means to live for you. Father, I thank you for this amazing church that we have a chance to be part of. And I thank you for those that understand and live with a passion to be contributors and not consumers. Lord, I'm just moved today even when I see pictures of our young people, our students, even children, Lord jumping in and being involved and serving. Lord, I thank you today for the family that was together greeting. It's just awesome, Lord, that we can instill these these things in our own children's lives. And Lord, I'm grateful. I'm thankful. But Lord, I know what could happen. I know the potential that sits even here this morning to see the gospel message forcefully advancing. And I just ask today that you will move in the hearts of every single one of us here that with a passion we would make this declarative statement over our life, I will not just be a consumer, but I will make a decision to live my life differently with the bedrock foundation of the truth in my life and be a contributor. Lord, will you help us to be a church that has not even one that hasn't made this decision to jump into actively being part of what you're doing. Lord, help us. Help us as a church to reach our full redemptive potential, that there would be no one in this community that hasn't heard of the amazing love of our God. In your name we pray, amen.